This morning we'll move on with uh, our message or our series from the first book of 1 John, the letter of 1 John. Uh, chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 4 to 10. Uh, this passage, passage is kind of a... So John talks a lot about sin in this letter. He mentions sin a lot. And he does so as well in this passage. Now he says something very interesting, which can kind of be a tension or could be confusing. Because John says that if someone is born of God, verse 9, he says, if someone is born of God, he cannot sin anymore. And you wonder, well, how is that possible? How is it possible that we cannot sin anymore if we are in Christ Jesus because we are born from above, we are regenerated? And he clearly says, if you are a child of God, you cannot. He uses that word, you cannot. You don't have the ability to. The power is gone. The word is power. The power is gone. You cannot sin anymore. Yet on the other hand, if you look at chapter 1, John says, verses 8 to 10, he says, If anyone claims to be without sin, you're lying. You're lying to yourself and you make God out to be a liar. So how, what do you do with that tension? On the one hand, what John says, um, you cannot sin. On the other hand, he says, you cannot claim to be without sin. That can be confusing. I do remember a time when I was studying at seminary, and I believe it was a senior, and there was a couple guys, like a class below us, and, and they started to teach that. They started to teach that we are sinless. So uh, we, we cannot sin anymore, because it says so in 1 John chapter 3. So as a Christian, we can no longer sin. Well, it caused quite a stir, in, quite a stir in among the students. We began to discuss this, you know. I don't remember all the details. I do remember that the staff and the teachers stepped in and basically told them, uh, you're wrong. If you don't change, you're going to expel you from the school, you know. Well, why, why were they wrong? Because John here says, and if you're born of God, you cannot sin anymore. Well, experientially, we all know we can still sin, Right? We still have a sinful nature, don't we? Well, at least I do. Probably most of us still do. We still have a sinful nature. But what then does John mean when he says that if anybody's in Christ Jesus, he can no longer sin? I like how one man puts it, or put it, when he was asked about this. He asked him the question, um, so can you still sin? And he said, yes. So what's the difference now between what, who you were before and who you are now? He thought about it for a moment and he said, In the past, I used to run after sin. But now I'm running away from sin. That's the difference. That's repentance. You turn away from, you turn towards God. I used to run after sin, but now I'm running away from sin. So having said this, let us look at this passage this morning. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 to 10. And I'll be reading from the NASB. Everyone who, and listen to this word, practices sin, also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, in Jesus, there is no sin. No one who remains, that's the word abide, so we abide in Jesus. No one who remains in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. 
Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who has been born of God practices sin. Because his seed, God's seed, remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now, I normally use the NIV because I like it. I've just, I can memorize scripture in the NIV much more easily, uh, but NIV is not quite accurate when it comes to this passage, unfortunately. NIV translates the word sin, as it's used in verse 4, as a verb. Everyone who sins, it's a verb, an action. John actually says, everyone who practices sin. So the verb is practice, or do, or commit. Sin is an object here, okay? It's important. I'm the subject. I Practice what? Sin. Subject, verb, object in the sentence. Sin can no longer be an object for us. It's not an object for us anymore because our focus has shifted. The focus or the object of our life is no longer sin, but it's Jesus. So whereas we used to orbit around sin, and that's why Paul says that we were slaves to sin. All of us, whether we not practice sin all the time, it doesn't matter. He says you were basically, you were in bondage to sin, you were slaves to sin. As such, are your focus, the focus of your life was sin, and you've orbited around sin as such. And even if, if you were the center of the orbit, that's still sinful. Sin, sin can have many ways of how it's lived out. But if someone is in Christ Jesus, we no longer orbit around ourselves. We no longer orbit around sin as such. So we begin, we orbit now around Jesus because he is now the focus of our lives. And I believe in that sense, John is saying, you cannot sin anymore. Why not? Because now you belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. He is without sin. He has no sin. He died for that purpose. So we do not want to continue to sin in that sense. Another observation from this passage, just when, it, when you look at it grammatically, uh, in verse 6. So when John does use a verb, so mostly he uses it as a noun, an object, but he does use the word sin as a verb in verse 6 when he says, No one who abides in him sins. That's the verb. Present, active, Indicative. Now, here's the inter interesting part. He uses the exact word, the exact verb in verse 8 when he's talking about the devil. He says, the one who practices sin in verse 8 is of the devil, for the devil, what does he do? Sins. Now, in the English, we use a, pre uh, a perfect tense, but in the Greek, it's present tense. He sins. That's what he does. It's who he is. Now, Jesus says many things about the devil. He says he's a liar, he's a murderer. John here says he's a sinner. That's his identity. That's who he is. And so he says you, you cannot sin because sin is no longer your identity. 
Our identity is found in Christ Jesus. Now we still have the ability to sin. We still have the sinful nature as such. But, but, but the identity when it comes to, to sin is gone. We now belong to Christ Jesus. Our identity is found in Him and Him alone. And in that sense, I believe, John says, you cannot. You cannot. If you are in Christ Jesus, you're born of God. You belong to Jesus. You, 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 your life is orbits around Him. You cannot. You cannot remain in sin. You need to deal with sin. That doesn't mean we're sinless. We'll talk more about this in just a minute. Two things I want to talk to you about. So how do we leave sin behind? How do we deal with sin? How do we leave sin behind? Because he uses this word practice. Practicing sin. And he also talks about practicing righteousness. So how do we practice or not practice sin anymore. And on the other hand, how do we then practice righteousness? I think one way of understanding how to leave sin behind is how John defines sin here in this, in this chapter. In verse 4 he says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Sin is what? Sin is lawlessness. It's very important for us to understand. So sin is what? Sin is Lawlessness. Now, what does lawlessness, lawlessness mean? When we hear the word law, most likely your mind will go to Mosaic law, the law of Moses, you know, Ten Commandments, um, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all of those numbers, all of those laws that were given to the nation of Israel, which then considers the, the, the law of Moses. Yes, that's the law in the Old Testament. But I believe there's, there's, there's another law at work that God established even before or at the beginning of creation. God already established laws. I mean, the universe exists because there's laws. There's physical laws. Without these laws, there would be no life. We don't have time to go into it. But if you, I've, I've, I've read that if you just, on the dial of gravity, which is like this, this wide, if you just... Switch it a little bit to the left or to the right on the scale. Life is not possible. There would be no life. So there's physical laws, but I believe there's also underlying there's the laws of God, the values of God which just make life possible, which make communal life possible. And God established those at the very beginning. Most of them are eternal. Maybe not all of them, like marriage, is not really an eternal institution. But it's an institution that God established at the very beginning when he said, Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one. It's an eternal, is a value that God established. And at the core of society is the family. And God gave this as a value. He gave this as an order for our society. Just like our bodies at the nuclear level have cells, so society at the nuclear level has family. And that's how God ordered life. He ordered society that way. He gave us government. He gave us the pattern of work and rest. That's a law that God established. Six days you shall work, on the seventh day you shall rest. And it's, and it's established, not in the law of Moses, it's established in God himself because he rested. So we are to rest. He established worship as an eternal value. He established service 
as an as I believe, an eternal value because he told Adam to, to watch over creation and to care for creation and to rule over creation. And when it says rule, it doesn't mean abuse it. It just simply means care for. Care for those who are under your charge. You have authority. Care for them. So there's order that God established. Lawlessness means I reject the order of God. Lawlessness means I, I do not, I'm not willing to live under the order that God has established, both the eternal order, the values that he established, as well as the law of Moses. I do not, I live against this, I live in rebellion to it. Um, Paul puts it this way in Romans 8. The sinful mind, verse 7, the sinful mind does not submit itself to God's law. The sinful mind will not submit to the law of God. That's lawlessness. So when we come to Jesus, what do we do? Well, we submit ourselves. We submit ourselves. We come under the order that God has established again. I like uh, the German word for submission. The German word for submission, for those of you a little bit of German, is Unterordnung. You can always figure it out, right? Unterordnung. Under order. That means submission. When you submit yourself, you come under order. You live under an order. And it's the order that God has established for us. And that's what we need to do. Now, Derek, you've probably spoken that when you spoke on the, on the Antichrist. Paul calls the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians, he calls him the man of lawlessness. Right? Why? Because he rejects the order of God. He rejects the law of God, he rejects the order of God. And then Jesus, in teaching about the last days, says, because of the increase of lawlessness, lawlessness will continue to increase until finally the man of lawlessness shows up, which is the Antichrist. The love of most will grow cold. Lawlessness will create enmity with God. And we have to, we cannot live in this lawlessness. We have to live under the order of God. Um, the problem is that our sinful nature is wired that way. Our sinful nature is wired in a rebellion against God. So we need to learn to overcome that. So Paul says in First Romans chapter 6, he says, Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, meaning from lawlessness to lawlessness. That's what you used to do, Paul says. You used to offer your bodies to lawlessness, in ever-increasing lawlessness. But now, offer them in slavery to righteousness. Same thing. Slavery to righteousness. Offer them. So the important word here is, who do you offer yourself to? Who do you live under? Who do you submit yourself to? So, what does that mean? Well, how do we then leave sin behind? How do we deal with sin in our lives? Now, sin is sin. When it comes to God, sin is rebellion. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is disobedience. It doesn't matter what sin it is. In, in many ways, before God, all sin is equally bad, okay? But I think when it comes to us, how do we deal with sins? I want to make a distinction that I believe Paul made as well, because Paul said that every sin is outside the body. 
except sexual sins. When we commit a sexual sin, we commit a, a sin against our own bodies. So I think we need to make a distinction between moral sins, moral failures, and what I would call character sins, or the sinful nature that we're still struggling with. I think we need to deal with moral failure on a different level than we need to deal with character sins. And let me try to explain this to you, how I understand this. So moral sins. Um, here's the woman who was caught in adultery. You know the story, John chapter 8. She was caught in adultery red-handed. So they brought her to Jesus. We caught her, okay? We can all prove it. We saw it happening, okay? We know it's true. What does the law say? Well, the law says she must be stoned to death. That's what the law says, and they all knew it. And Jesus knew it. He doesn't respond. He draws on the sand. Then he stands up and says, If any of you are without sin, you may throw the first stone, the first rock. They all walk away. So Jesus looks up. He sees the woman standing there says, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. And he says, Neither do I condemn you. That's forgiveness. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness of our sins. Neither do I condemn you. But then he goes on and says, Now go and leave your life of sin behind. He didn't tell her to continue to do the things she was doing. And he says, now you've been forgiven. Everything is gone. You're a new creation. Now go and leave it behind. There's certain sins you just have to break with. You cannot enter, continue to entertain them because they have a stronghold in your life. If you continue to entertain them, you will continue to act upon those sins. You've got to break with them. Um, you have to walk away from them. Here's how Charles Trumbull, he was a, a preacher uh, about 100 years ago, and he wrote a book called Victory in Christ, and he was also part of the Kenswick Holiness Movement, which I believe is still around in England. They have these Ken, Kenswick meetings uh, which, where they encourage each other to holy, holiness and holy life. And so he, uh, he, he gave an example in one of his speeches. And he says, imagine... Uh, Imagine a pocket thief who comes to know Jesus. Now, he, he's in a quandary because uh, how, does he, how is he making his livelihood, you know? Well, he picks pockets. Well, so he, he, he doesn't want to pick pockets anymore, but he has nothing else to do. So he says, well, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, and on a good day, to make enough money, I pick it about 10 pockets. That's a lot of income for me. Okay, I'm just going to cut back. So for the next two weeks, I'll just pick eight pockets. And then I'll cut back to six pockets. And I'll cut back to four pockets. And I'll cut back to two pockets. And finally, then, I'll give it all up. Now, I don't know. That may work for a pocket thief. But it does not work when it comes to sin. You cannot play around with sin. It just does not work, especially sexual sin. You, just, you have to take a break. And you have to leave it behind. Confess, you're forgiven. Jesus says, now leave it. Leave it behind. Come, follow me. Now, I know it's a struggle, and we need accountability. We need help. But I believe even, even pornography can be defeated in this way, which is a sexual sin as well. If we struggle with pornography, 
What we have to do, we have, we, you, you cannot keep playing with it. You cannot say to yourself, well, I'm addicted to pornography. Uh, it's, it's hard for me to leave it behind. I'm just going to cut back on it. Okay, I used to watch like a movie a day. I'm just going to watch half a movie. Look at half the pictures. Whatever. Well, you know what sin does to you? You know, you know the stronghold it has on our mind. It, it, it just, it, we, we will not be able to leave it behind. There comes a point where you just have to say, I leave this behind. I follow Jesus. Help me, brother. That's where accountability comes in. That's where we need to connect with brothers and sisters. Fellowship helps us where we can call someone, hold someone who holds you accountable, especially when it comes to sexual sins. But I think there needs to be a cut because John says you cannot, you cannot sin anymore because you are a new creation. You belong to Christ Jesus. And Jesus is calling us to holiness. He's calling us to righteousness. So leave these sins behind. Having said that, I believe there's other sins, like character sins. And they sort of, they go deeper because they're sometimes part of your personality. They're sometimes part of who you are, okay? Um, when I mean character sin, I mean sins like anger, greed, arrogance, pride, jealousy, impatience. The list can go on. Sometimes these sins are part of who we are. And it's much harder for us just to walk away from those sins. And I think that's what Scripture says we need to be renewed by the transformation of our mind. That's a process. I think the approach is still the same. Confess your sins. Uh, even to another person, hold, it, hold each other accountable. But it's a process of sanctification that kicks in that may take you even the rest of your lives. Let's say you're struggling with anger. And it's just like, it's how you're wired because you're uptight. And, and if something happens, uh, like you, you just, you blow up, okay? And then you regret that you blow up, okay? And you got to go mend the fences. All right, well, may, maybe you need to learn a new pattern. It's the renewal of the mind where you, you start to read your mind. You understand something is brewing in my mind. It's not good. Step away. Pray about it. Learn how to respond then. It's possible to do this. It's possible to renew our mind, to become more like Christ Jesus. But I believe there's also that just the cutting, breaking with these kinds of sin is much more difficult than it is. And that's where the sinful nature still plays in, doesn't it? Because we still have the tendencies to sin, even in these opportunities. I like how Psalm 1 puts puts it. Psalm 1 in many ways gives us like the overview of the Christian life. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not stand in the way of sinners, who does not sit in the seat of mockers. You don't walk with the wicked. You don't stand with the sinners. You don't sit with the mockers. you got to leave that behind. you got to break with that. Instead, he says, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord, both the law of Moses and, and the order that God established. His, his, delight is, his delight, his joy is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree 
planted by streams of waters. And here's the good news. Which yields its fruit in season. Which, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Fruit will come. Fruit will come. Change will come. If we delight in the law of the Lord, if we seek the Lord, we make Him the, the focus of our attention, we rotate, as I mentioned earlier, we orbit around Jesus, fruit will come. His delight is in the law of the Lord. He's like a tree planted among streams of, streams of water. And He will yield. You will yield your fruit in season, in His timing. But we need to have our delight in the law of the Lord. Secondly, what does it mean then to practice, or how do we practice righteousness? So John says you cannot practice sin anymore. And then he says, on the other hand, we are to practice righteousness. The one who practices righteousness, verse 7, is righteous just as he is righteous. So just a few thoughts here. Um, I don't want to take too much time, but we know this. First, it all begins understanding that we are declared righteous in Christ Jesus. It's his righteousness that we receive. It's a positional righteousness which we receive in Christ Jesus. It's because He is righteous that we inherit His righteousness through what He's done for us. So Paul clearly says in Romans that no one is righteous. No one is righteous. Not even one of us. Then he goes on and says, verse 21, but in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. Faith in Christ Jesus. And so Abraham was declared righteous because of his faith, faith in Jesus. So it's a, it's a righteousness that we receive, first and foremost, and you know that, okay? But then he goes on, and Jesus said, it's also something we should long for. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger, those who hunger, those who thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied with what? Righteousness. You will receive righteousness. Long for it, Jesus. Where's your hunger? Where's your thirst? What are you longing for? Righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Because they shall see the kingdom of God. And Matthew chapter 6, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek it. Seek it. Long for it. In Timothy, chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says to Timothy, pursue righteousness. Pursue it. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Pursue these things. Now, the word pursue literally means to hunt it down. Hunt it down. The word is actually mostly translated in the New Testament with the word to persecute. So when you see the word persecute, it's the same word as the word pursue. So he said, persecute these things. They're so important to you, actually, you, you, as if you wanted to persecute them. You're after them. You cannot let them go. Because they're so important to you. Hunt them down, he's telling them. Hunt down righteousness. Because it's important. And then he tells us that we are to train ourselves in righteousness. In 2 Timothy uh, 3 verse 16, you know the scripture. All scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by God and useful for teaching, 
rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So scripture is giving to us so we can train ourselves in righteousness. The word train is what you do with a little child. So John is talking about the little children, um, babies, newborn. You need to care for them. But then there's the next phase, which is you, you train up a child. Train up a child in the way he shall go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child. That's the phase when we take a toddler until they maybe go to school or beyond, and we train them. In the same way, train yourself. Train yourself. It takes practice. And so when we read this word practice, practice righteousness, maybe it's literal, you've got to practice it. Okay? It's not something that you just do. You've got to learn how to do it. And so there's some aspects of the Christian life you just need to train yourself in. Bible reading. You need to train yourself in prayer. You know, let me tell you something. Your sinful nature does not want to pray. It has no desire whatsoever to sit down and to spend a half an hour and an hour with the Lord. Now, I'd much rather watch a movie right now or read a good book. That's my sinful nature. And we all have that, right? So you need to learn to train yourself in prayer. It takes perseverance. It takes pursuit. It takes pursuing Christ Jesus. And so delight yourself in the Lord, Scripture says, because He's our joy. He's our hope. Lastly, uh, let me just point this out. John then gives us just some signs of true repentance. What does repentance look like? Or what does it mean to, uh, uh, not repentance, I'm sorry, regeneration? How do we know whose child we are? Well, in verse 10, he says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Two things. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. So how do we know it? You practice righteousness. You practice these things. You learn to follow God. You have a hunger for God's word, a desire to pray, a desire for fellowship, a conviction of sin. And then he says, nor the one who does not love his brother. Love is the other sign of a regenerated mind, of a person who belongs to God Jesus. There's love. And John talks a lot about love. So he talks a lot about sin, and he talks a lot about love, especially in chapter 4, and we'll be looking at that in just a few weeks, when he talks a lot about love. If you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, one of the signs of it is that you learn to love those that God has put you in community with. So, how do we deal with this tension? Well, Scripture says you cannot sin. You cannot live in disobedience to Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that we don't have a sinful nature. No, we need to deal with sin in our lives as well. But we cannot live in rebellion to the law of God. We cannot live knowing that if God, if the Holy Spirit convicts you of a sin and you continue to live in it, you're living lawlessness. And you can't do that as a believer. So Christ Jesus is calling us this morning to pursue Him, to pursue righteousness. Would you do that? Let's pray.